Welcome to the Ideas Matter podcast, a new hub for debates and discussion hosted by the Battle of Ideas charity. My name is Alistair Donald. I'm secretary of the BOI charity and convener of Living Freedom, our annual residential school for under 25s. Over the months ahead, this hub will include interviews and recordings from our events and feature thinkers, commentators, academics and experts reflecting on the big issues of our time. To kick us off, you're about to listen to a conversation between the journalist Ella Whelan and the author Professor Frank Ferreira, who discussed the culture wars, the theme of our up-and-coming residential summer school, the Academy. Bringing together people of all ages and backgrounds across the course of a weekend at Y Boston Lakes in Bedfordshire, the Academy this year features a series of lectures and seminars on the emergence and evolution of the culture wars, including what they are, where they come from, why does culture become politicised, and how to deal with the contemporary problem of warring identities. If you'd like to join us on the 20th and 21st of July for a weekend of stimulating debate in a beautiful location, head to our website at theboi.co.uk or click the link under this podcast to book your tickets. Now, over to Ella and Frank. Okay, first of all, Frank, I wanted to ask you why the culture wars were important because on the one hand... Uh, some people say that there isn't a culture war that this kind of identity politics is really just politics and that this is how it's always been and then on the other hand I often talk to people who say okay so some feminist got banned from a university or uh, you know some celebrity got trunched for being full of white privilege I mean what does it matter why are the culture wars an important thing to examine well I think the uh, culture wars that are going on now are far more profound than anyone uh, scandal or any one controversy over somebody's identity. I think if you look at the political terrain, there is very few big debates about social policy. People don't have arguments about the, the future of society. Uh, there aren't big uh, uh, sort of questions asked about the nature of wealth production, the meaning of, uh, of life. None of the big political or philosophical questions are contested. And instead what we have is uh, a continuous series of small battles being fought over what are apparently fairly trivial issues to do with the meaning of the family. You know, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? We have massive debates about how to bring children up, uh, what kind of uh, ideals we should uh, we should communicate to them. We find that there are big debates about abortion in America, for example. That's all they ever seem to be debating. Seems to be like a constant issue, which really touches on uh, sort of fundamental cultural uh, values and the conflicts there are pretty intense. You know, pretty pretty uh, amazing. Uh, so, in a sense, when you look around, it almost seems like uh, the the issue of values and and, and, and and the meaning that one attaches to them seems to become the main area of politicization. I think there's a reason for that, which is uh, that for some time now, uh, there's been very little consensus on the, in, on the about culture. People are very, have very polarized views on this particular kind of matter. You can see this in the Brexit debate, because behind the Brexit debate, there lies very different conceptions of uh, what you know, who you are, where you belong, what you identify with, and I think the hostility that both sides have towards each other 
isn't simply reducible to the issue of Europe. It's got to do with much more important uh, dynamics that un- underpin that, which are essentially cultural dynamics. And I mean, lots of the things you've talked about are obviously quite contemporary, and it can feel like the culture wars is something that's only happened within you know, the last 10 years, or certainly it feels like it's ramped up. But throughout the academy, the sessions and the lectures are, um, a lot of them are kind of going back into history. I mean, why do you have to do that to understand the current contemporary moment? Even, I mean, on the reading list is your book, First World War, No End in Sight. Why would you have to go back to World War One to understand what's going on in 2019? Well, well, in many ways, you would have to go back further than the First World War, for a very simple reason that in order to understand what is special or unique about our conflict or culture, it, it's useful to look at the patterns in the past to understand uh, the specific features that distinguish it from what has gone on beforehand. And it seems to me that uh, there are two important questions. The first question is that in the past, the, the wars over culture tended to be much more focused. So, for example, uh, one of the classical examples of a culture war would be between Protestantism and Catholicism uh, in the aftermath of the Reformation. And there it was very clear. There were two different views of Christianity, uh, two different views of human beings' relation to God. And a lot of the battles uh, tended to be very clearly uh, and in a, uh, explained and in a very kind of explicit way fought out. And that's the way it was in the 19th century. For example, in France, you would have a culture war between republicanism people who believed in a secular society, and Catholicism, people who believed in a religious society. And there too, you know, the discussion was very, very clear. Nobody argued that there wasn't a culture war like they do now, because the issues were were, were, uh, were, were clear. They, they really had a, a massive you know, sort of influence on people's lives. Everybody knew which side they were on, whereas today the culture wars obviously are very often over much more, much smaller even seemingly petty matters. So that's that's the first thing. I think that's quite important. I think the second reason why you know the first world war is really important, particularly, is because in the aftermath of the first world war, what people began to see and began to uh, uh, sort of conclude was that the first world war had unleashed a process where ideological battles became the norm. You know, the battles between fascism and communism and socialism. And liberalism. And I think that's very interesting because uh, although that's the way it appeared, and in fact, indeed, there was a lot of battles to do with the ideology, I would argue that underneath it, uh, there was the beginning of the unraveling of, uh, of the kind of cultural consensus that characterized Western society. And I would suggest that it's really at the end of the First World War that you have the beginnings of some of the battles that you now see as being normal. For example, uh, until the end of the First World War, you didn't have the profound generational conflicts that you have now. And it's in the First World War that you have the emergence of a very clear struggle between the traditions of Western society, what's called traditionalism, and the more modernist attempt to leave the past behind, something that we see becoming clearer more and more. And therefore, I think that by going back to the First World War, it will help us understand the uh, the way in which the uh, the uh, cultural conflicts of today are kind of shaped and molded by the experience of history and the sessions throughout the weekend vary from everything from the crisis of bourgeois ideology to the 60s counterculture 
and the role of emotion and reason. Uh, but there are also several lectures that look at specifically the family and education, um, which raise questions about the division between the private and the public and discussion about authority. Why do you think these are important to examine in relation to the culture wars? I think the uh, culture wars are often fought out in, in the domain that we can call the pre-political or the non-public. Uh, in other words, they are often fought out over things like what's the meaning of a family? You know, what are the values uh, that you bring children up? If, if you look at the debates on education in Britain today, you'll find that Every time there is some kind of a problem, people say, let's put it on the curriculum. So people suggest, let's put transsexuality on the curriculum so children become much more trans-friendly. Or uh, in Birmingham today, at, at the moment, there are these big debates as to whether, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds should learn about gay sexuality or they shouldn't. These are profoundly kind of value-oriented and cultural matters. And if you look at the uh, way in which children are being educated and the kind of arguments that, 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 that exist, they, are, they have very important political implications to do with the nature of society and, 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 and ultimately about the future direction of our society because how you socialize kids, what kind of values you impart to them has a very important consequence in the way that they them make their way in the world. And uh, at the moment... These disputes are often very silent and they're very sporadic and, and fragmented. But when you analyze them properly, you can see that they're part and parcel of a wider pattern that connects the institution of education into the institution of the family. They kind of link that up to the wider debates on, on, on social policy and social policy related matters as well. Do you think the culture war, the culture wars, are something that need to have an end? Can we fight them and win them? What would that mean? Or do you think that this is just the new state of politics as it is today? Well, I think in, in, in one sense, having arguments over values is not always a bad thing. In a, in a healthy, open, democratic, pluralist society, it's perfectly all right to have different views on, a, on particularly on private matters, on, on matters that are, are, are not to do with the public. I think the reason why we have a, a lot of problems today is because the, the boundary between the private and the public sphere has been breached. And therefore, things that should really be left to adults to decide on their own should be really kind of private matter. They become politicized. And at the same time as private matters have become politicized, so public issues have become personalized. And we, you know, we are deeply concerned about you know, whether Michael Gove sniffed cocaine or not, whether this politician had an affair, what kind of you know, character that they have. We're not that interested in their policies. We're really interested in their private lives. So that kind of collapse of the two, the private and the public, uh, makes the uh, debate over values, particularly personal, particularly vicious, um, and therefore... This kind of culture war we can do without because it doesn't raise the political or the philosophical level of society. And it makes it very difficult to have a proper grown-up discussions on kind of fundamental moral matters. And well, that's something that I find difficult to tackle when I talk to people about the culture wars or identity politics. Because obviously people feel that identity is very important and it you know, historically has been very important, has been fought for and defended and 
is important today in relation to how people see themselves. And obviously, you know, proponents of identity politics would say, well, it matters very much that I'm a woman when I'm talking about abortion rights, or it matters very much that I'm black when I'm talking about racism. But what's the difference between the importance of identity and as it appears in uh, politicised within identity politics? Well, I think that the, the key element in there is that somehow identity you know, that you've adopted gives you access to particular insights and it gives you a, a privileged understanding of the way that the world works. And, and therefore, you, know, you can go to a public meeting and people will get up and they say, as a woman, I think, or as a black person, I, I, I think, or as a, a gay person or a disabled person, this is what I'm saying, as if somehow that's got any kind of consequences. So instead of listening to what you've actually got to say on the subject, to see you know, whether it makes sense or not, what matters is your identity. And that kind of, in a sense, has a very powerful, both depoliticizing effect. And also it kind of personalizes the issue. So basically it then means that if I criticize you, you know, that I'm criticizing you, first of all, because you're a woman, not because of what you said. And secondly, I'm criticizing you as an individual because people find it difficult to separate their ideas from their identity. So when I attack you, you know, sort of when I attack your ideas, I seem to be attacking you, even though it's got nothing to do with you as an individual. And I think that kind of shift has been, you know, really sort of quite profound. And uh, in a sense, what we have to remember is that uh, the minute that identity becomes politicized in, in that kind of a way, it is... In, almost impossible to ever reach any kind of agreement or consensus just simply because uh, identity politics continually begets its own contradictions. It, it always invites a reaction and uh, it, it, it kind of fragments and individuates the public space. I mean, a lot of people, when they think about the culture wars, um, they situate it as, you know, stereotypically something that happens on a university campus, or those are the kind of news stories that we hear about. But how has it become the order of the day. I mean, how has the discussions about the cultural identity politics become the mainstream when actually a lot of the time it doesn't touch the vast majority of people? So your average uh, working family in Stroud um, doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily engaged in the culture war on the face of it. Well, it's a very important question. If you look back, uh, I, I would suggest that the, this, this begins to kick in and develops in the 70s. And in the 70s, you have what is often referred to as the cultural turn. And what the cultural turn meant was basically uh, uh, when people began to argue that uh, class politics has come to an end, that the classical divisions between uh, conservatives and, and labor, uh, socialists and, and the right wing have to some extent uh, lost some of their meanings. Uh, and the reason for that, it was suggested, was because we were now living in a world where economic conflicts were less important because people were much better off than before. We were living in a, a post-material world. And they suggested that what we now have is a situation where young people, educated people, are much more interested in things like the environment, in sexual equality, in sexual politics, you know, all the things that you know, sort of are now quite common rather than the old kind of politics. And I think that that kind of cultural turn where basically the argument was that we now have a, 
the fundamental division in the world is between those who uphold post-material values and those people who up- uphold uh, sort of just material values is what's really kind of key. And, and in that sense, you, at that point, it appeared fairly neutral. You know, they, they were just making an observation. But since that point in time, we find that what those who are advocating post-material values are not just simply saying, well, this is the values that we believe in that is really, really good. What they're also saying is that those people that do not embrace our values are morally inferior to us and they are legitimate targets of criticism and attack. And I think it's at this point you have the beginnings of the contemporary culture war. And the reason why the university has become important in this is because it's on campuses that you have there the most systematic articulation of these arguments, these ideas. It's there that these ideas develop. And it may well be the case that ordinary people are not affected by it, but over the the decades since the 70s, they have gradually filtered into, you know, every aspect, every every sphere of society, including people who are not really aware of it. They're, even when they don't agree with them, just by very by their action of reacting against them, uh, are showing that they've been influenced by this development. Well, Frank, you're going to end the weekend with a lecture on the cultural turn. So thank you for that. Um, insight into what that might be about but for those who are going to join us and I hope everyone listening does on the weekend of the 20th and the 21st of July what kind of questions would you recommend having in your head throughout looking at the culture wars what kind of things should people expect to be investigating well I think the discussion will be fairly dynamic and open uh, because uh, the kind of debate that uh, has taken place and is and is occurring uh, requires us to have a certain uh, understanding of both sides of the argument. I think it's quite important. One of the things I'm hoping will come out of the discussion is not uh, is, is a situation where people are, are not just simply saying that this is what we believe in, and 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 because we believe in this, we somehow got all the answers, and that's the end of the discussion. I think it's really quite important that we understand what. Uh, the other side believes in, and, and try to have a degree of uh, intellectual empathy uh, sort of for that. I always think that uh, it's quite important that we attempt to understand uh, our opponent's uh, view of the world as m- even better than they do, because the more we can get into their uh, uh, head, the more we can understand their intellectual, the intellectual underpinning of their ideals, the more clearly we can explain our own standpoint, because very often the, the clarity uh, of our arguments is in part uh, a result of the quality of the, the arguments and the debate that we're having at the moment. And I think that uh, people should be ready to do that, because one of the ways in which uh, this kind of discussion can have a very, have a, have a very positive effect is, it, if, if, is, it, is, is that if we can take this discussion outside the academy, we may well be able to contribute to having a more grown-up discussion on some of these matters, rather than just simply the kind of very reactive way that the debate is taking place at the moment. Thanks to Ella Whelan and Professor Frank Ferreira for the very helpful thoughts in helping us to understand the culture wars. We'll have more from the Academy 2019 in the months ahead. To keep up to date, then please do subscribe to the podcast via your favourite podcast feed.
In the meantime, if you'd like to attend the summer school on the 20th and 21st of July, you can find more details and buy your tickets either through the website, theboi.co.uk, or by clicking the link under this podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.